Good morning, everyone. I'm so thankful that you chose to worship with us this morning. You know, during this time of uncertainty, I'm praying that you're doing well. I'm praying that you're keeping a positive outlook on life, but most of all, that you are staying true to your faith in Jesus Christ. Because we know that times can get hard, but we always know that our Lord is with us, that he's always close by, and he never forsakes us. So thank you for so much for worshiping with us. Today, I just want to welcome you. Maybe this is your first time worshiping with us. Maybe you've never interacted with Pole Creek in any way. We would love to send you a gift. We would love to reach out to you, get to know you better. So if this is your first time, all you have to do to reach out to us is simply text the word NEW to the phone number 828-373-1940. We'll mail you a gift, we'll reach out to you, and we'll answer any questions that you may have about our church. You may have some prayer requests that are weighing heavy on your heart today. Maybe you're burdened with a lost loved one. Maybe someone you know is sick. Maybe you yourself are dealing with great battles. Well, we want to pray for you here at Pole Creek. Our staff loves to pray over the prayer requests. Of course, we keep these confidential if that is your wish. But to simply share your prayer requests, all you have to do is text the word PRAY to the phone number 828-373-1940. You'll be sent a link. Click the link, and it'll ask you some information about your prayer request. And we'll be sure to reach out to you to see if we can minister to you in any way. I also just want to take this time to say thank you. Thank you, Pole Creek, for your faithfulness in giving to the Lord. Because of your continued faithfulness, we're able to continue the ministries of Pole Creek during a difficult time in our economy. Thank God that he is still providing so that we can get the gospel message out and so that souls can be saved. You can still give even remotely on our website. All you have to do is go to our website, polecreek.org, click the menu button, and then go down to the give link. It'll take you to a place where you can securely continue to give. And I, again, just want to say thank you. So today I'm very excited because we're going to be starting a new series. You know, we just came off of the series of Who Are We? As we sought to try to see what our purpose is and our mission and our vision and our core values. Well, today I want to start a sermon series on marriage in the 21st century. And I think that is so important. I believe God has led me to this place because of the outright attack that marriages are under today. I know that Satan is seeking to destroy marriages everywhere that marriage is so important because marriage is important to God. And what we're going to do is, is we're going to systematically go through the Bible and go through the passages that speak of marriage. And you may be sitting there thinking, well, Ben, how many times exactly could the Bible actually mention marriage? Well, believe it or not, it's quite a few. And believe it or not, it's quite detailed and quite extensive. And the Bible gives us everything that we need to know about how to conduct ourselves in marriage in a godly, healthy, and happy way. So what I want this marriage to do for you is, is I want this marriage to encourage you. Maybe you're married and you're going through a difficult time. Well, this message is for you. Maybe you're married and you're going through great times. This message is for you. Maybe you're single and you're looking to get married someday. This message is for you. Maybe you're single and you're not looking to get married, but you need to know the biblical foundation and what God expects of human society. This message is in series is going to be for you. So go ahead and turn your Bibles to Genesis chapter 1 because that's where we're going to begin our reading. But before we do that, I want to read something from a man named Gary Chapman. Now, if you know anything about Gary Chapman, you know that his expertise is in the field of Christian marriage. He has written several books about marriage. Maybe you've heard of the book Five Love Languages. That was written by Gary Chapman. Well, he says in one of his other books called Things I Wish I'd Known Before We Got Married, this statement. And I want you to listen very carefully as we seek today to see where marriage began. 
He says this, marriage between a man and a woman is the foundation of all human societies. The reality is that when children become adults, most of them will get married. In the United States, each year there are over 2 million marriages. That is 4 million people who are saying, I do, to the question, to the question, will you have this man to be your wedded husband? Or will you have this woman to be your wedded wife? Almost all these couples anticipate living happily ever after. No one gets married hoping to be miserable or to make their spouse miserable. Yet we all know that the divorce rate remains at 50% in Western cultures. The highest rate of divorce happens within the first seven years of marriage. And that's pretty sobering statistics there. So let's see what the Word of God has to say. So in your Bible, beginning in Genesis chapter 1, we're going to start in verse 27. Genesis 1, beginning in verse 27. And then we're going to read through verse 31. The Bible says this, So God created man in his own image. He created him in the image of God. He created them male and female. God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, and subdue it. Rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, and every creature that crawls on the earth. God also said, Look, I have given you every seed-bearing plant on the surface of the entire earth, and every tree whose fruit contains seed. This will be food for you, for all the wildlife of the earth, for every bird of the sky, and for every creature that crawls on the earth, everything having the breath of life in it. I have given every green plant for food, and it was so. God saw all that he had made, and that it was very good indeed. Evening came, then morning, the sixth day. Then we go on to chapter 2, beginning in verse 20. So just look next to that next chapter, beginning in verse 20. We're going to read 20 through 25. The Bible says this, The man gave names to all the livestock, to the birds of the sky, and to every wild animal. But for the man, no helper was found corresponding to him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to come over the man, and he slept. God took one of his ribs and closed the flesh at that place. Then the Lord God made the rib he had taken from the man into a woman and brought her to the man. And the man said, This one at last is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. This one will be called woman, for she was taken from man. This is why a man leaves his father and mother and bonds with his wife, and they become one flesh. Both the man and his wife were naked, yet felt no shame. Let's pray. Dear God, we're so thankful for your word. God, we are thankful for the institution of marriage. And God, as we seek to look deeper in to your purpose for married couples, into your purpose for the institution of marriage, God, I pray that you would reveal from your word the truth. God, I pray that we as a church and as a community would adhere to the biblical principles of marriage, the structure of marriage, and how you, God, intended it to be. Lord, we know that you made marriage. So no one is going to know how to conduct it better than you. No one is going to know how to have a better marriage than the one who created it and made it. So God, today I pray for every married couple watching, every single person watching. God, because I know that you have a great purpose in each of our lives. And Lord, today this truth is so important for us to know. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So as we seek to look at marriage and how it began. I titled my sermon today, So It Begins. Because anytime you begin a new subject, anytime you talk about a truth in God's Word, you find that in the book of Genesis, foundations for so many things that we believe are found. The book of Genesis, actually the title Genesis, talks about means beginnings. It means the start. 
So as we look at the beginning of marriage and understanding why God instituted marriage and what he made it to be, it's going to really fuel our understanding of how to conduct our marriages in the 21st century. Remember, the Bible is a living document. It is, it is the living and breathing Word of God. And what I mean by that is not that it changes. What I mean by that is that it's powerful that it has the power of God behind it and in it. It is truth. So that when the power of God's word penetrates our hearts, it changes us. The Bible even says that the word of God does not return void, that when it goes in, it accomplishes a great work. And that is what we're praying for today as we look at biblical marriage. So looking through these passages, there are a few things that are going to stand out to us quite clearly. The first one is specificity specificity. And why I say that is, is because marriage is not a broad, uh, loose term in the Bible. Marriage is very specific. Marriage is intended to be conducted in a very specific way. And in verse 27 of chapter 1, we see that. If you will look back to that verse there in verse 27 of Genesis chapter 1. So God created man in his own image. He created him in the image of a God. He created them male and female. That is so, so important, especially in the day and age that we're living in. You ever heard about the Leaning Tower of Pisa? Well, the Leaning Tower of Pisa is a freestanding bell tower of the cathedral of the Italian city of Pisa. But the problem with the Leaning Tower of Pisa, hence the name, is that it leans. If you look at pictures of it, which we probably all have, whether it was a social studies class in school or whether it's on TV or whatever it may be, This tower is literally leaning. And when you look at it, you almost wonder, how is that thing even standing up? Well, the problem goes back to the foundation of the tower. The tower began to lean during its construction. You might would think, okay, so this tower is quite old, so maybe over time it's began to lean more and more. No, it actually began leaning as it was being constructed, which is a problem in and of itself. And this was during the 12th century. And the reason that it began to lean was due to the soft ground that it was being built on, and the soft ground could not support the tower's structure. It worsened. It continued to worsen throughout the completion of the construction in the 14th century. So this tower was really under construction almost 200 years, and during that entire construction process, it continued to lean. By 1990, okay, now this is quite recent, by 1990, the tilt had reached five and a half degrees. So it was continuing to slightly tilt over time. The structure was stabilized by remedial work between 1993 and 2001, which reduced the tilt to 3.97 degrees. Interesting, isn't it? And it's really one of those cultural Uh, structures, one of those things that we think of when we think about the world and we think about Europe and traveling and that architecture of Europe. But when you look at it, it's leaning. And it all goes back to the simple fact that the foundation was soft. Here in the Bible, we have the foundation for marriage. And see, when God builds a foundation, he does not build a soft foundation. He builds a sturdy foundation. He builds a foundation that will stand the test of time. And in Genesis chapter 1, verse 27, the foundation of marriage goes back to the fact that God created man in his image. He created them male and female, man and woman. See, I'm using gender-specific terms. Isn't it funny that even in our Congress today that there's a rule that you can't use gender-specific terms when speaking on the floor of the House of Representatives? 
Doesn't that just blow your mind? See, when we lose gender, when we lose the ability to describe gender in two ways, either male or female, then we actually lose our complete society. We lose meaning for our society as a whole. You almost can't even have a, a coherent conversation with another person without being able to use gender-specific terms. And you say, well, why is that so important, Ben? Why is it so important that we refer to all humans as either a man or a woman? Because the one who made us made that our foundation for society. And when you go outside of the Creator's intent and the Creator's purpose, you end up with chaos. You end up with less than the best. And that's why we as Bible-believing Christians understand that the truth of God's Word is the key to joy, it's the key to peace, and it's the key to true meaning in life. Did you hear what else the couple was made in, the, the man and the woman? They were also not just made male and female, but they were made in the image of God. We know that in the Latin, it's the Imago Dei. And what that is, is it is the likeness of God, that when God made man, he made man with certain qualities and traits and a certain essence that was like God himself. Now, he did not make the animals that way. He did not make the plants. He did not make anything else in the creation in his image except mankind. So why is that important? Well, the likeness of God is a very, very deep and unknown expanse. But we can see it a few ways. First of all, humanity has an eternal soul, an eternal spirit. In other words, upon the conception of a life in their mother's womb, that soul will live forever. It's immortality. That's in the likeness of God. We know that God will never die, that he, his, his, his time never ends, and ours will not either because we're created in His image. We also know that we know right from wrong, that there is an ingrained morality built into each and every one of us. You can go to the remotest tribe in Africa, and you're going to find that they adhere to common morality, that maybe murder is wrong, that stealing is wrong. And you can't explain that any other way than understanding the biblical truth that all human beings are created in the image of God. We have a God consciousness. You, you go to any remote village, any, any, any place that's not been touched by the outside cultures, and you're going to find they're worshiping something. They're worshiping either idols, they're worshiping ancestors, they're worshiping themselves, they're worshiping something. And again, it goes back to the fact that all people are created in the image of God, and with that image comes the consciousness of a higher power that cannot be explained in any other way than the fact that all people are created in God's image. So here we have the specificity of marriage. We have the foundation of marriage, male and female, man and woman, created in the image of God. Well, what else does the foundation found here in the Word of God say about marriage? Well, next we have the purpose. Why? Why? Why marriage? Why, why is this union so important? What is the purpose for the union? Well, we can find that in verses 28 through 30 of Genesis chapter 1. Continue to follow along, beginning in verse 28. God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, and subdue it. Rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, and every creature that crawls on the earth. God also said, Look, I have given you every seed-bearing plant on the surface of the entire earth, and every tree whose fruit contains seed. This will be food for you. 
for all the wildlife of the earth, for every bird of the sky, and for every creature that crawls on the earth, everything having the breath of life in it, I have given every green plant for you. And it was so. God saw all that he had made, and it was very good indeed. So here we have the purpose. See, God is saying, now go, multiply. In other words, have babies. You know, the interesting thing about the rainforest, whether it be the Amazon rainforest or the rainforest found in Asia or Central America, there are several rainforests all over the planet. But the beautiful thing about the rainforest is that it is the most perfect environment on planet Earth to sustain life. More than half of the world's animals live in the rainforest. Can you believe that? More than half of the world's animals live in the rainforest. Trees and other plants release water into the atmosphere, which is something called transpiration. Then the water falls back to the earth as rain. The water forms a thick cloud cover over the rainforest, so it is always warm and humid. It's amazing that I was reading something about the earth's rainforest, and it says that there are literally millions more species in rainforests that haven't even been identified by biologists. The rainforest is so rich and it's so perfect for sustaining life that life gravitates toward the rainforest. Well, marriage is like the rainforest. Marriage, godly marriage between one man and one woman is the perfect environment to sustain human life. The perfect environment to grow children to be godly, balanced, coherent, responsible human beings. Here he says, multiply and fill the earth. You know, the interesting thing about men and women is their differences. Even though we're both human, humanity, we're equally valuable to God, we're both created in the image of God, we're different. Hence, male and female, hence the designation. There is a physical difference. When you look at a man, a man looks different than a woman, right? When you, when you talk to men and women, when you understand their emotions, when you understand how they act and how they react, even how they view the world, they're different. And God did that for a reason. It's the beauty of his creation because the balance between man and woman fully glorifies and reflects the image of God and his glory and his fullness. Well, if you think about men, men identify with their careers, right? Women identify with their relationships. Think about this. If you ask a man, you know, what do you do? You know, what, what do you do maybe um, for a living? Or what do, you, what do you do? The first thing a man is going to say is, is he's going to give you his career. He's going to say, I'm an electrician. I'm a plumber. I'm a factory worker. I'm a doctor, right? Because men view the world as a race, a war, and a hunt. Just how God made men. And that's okay because that's the beauty of who God made men to be. But if everyone was like that, wouldn't the world be chaotic? Women view the world as a family as a nest, or as a place of beauty. Aren't you thankful today that women view the world that way? That there is such a beautiful balance on our planet because of the balance between male and female, but in the marriage itself, when a man and a woman come together in marriage, in Christian marriage, there is a beautiful balance there that is right for children to be raised. That a child, whether it be a boy or a girl, as they're raised in a home, with a mom and a dad who love each other, they're getting to see what it's meant to be a man. They're getting to see what a woman should be like. They're getting to see what it means to have a healthy relationship with the opposite sex. So then one day when they grow up, they've got this beautiful balance because they've been raised in this environment just like the rainforest. It's just rich and nutrient. So that one day when they go out to get married, 
They're not looking for a man that abuses them. They're looking for a man who nurtures them and loves them and protects them. Men are not looking for a woman who just satisfies their, their sensual needs. They're looking for a woman who's going to be there to support them and love them and have unconditional love in that relationship. My friends, marriage is infinitely important. And in the purpose of marriage and in multiplying and having children, marriage is essential. He also told them this, the next purpose here, not just to multiply and fill the earth, but to cultivate God's creation. You hear in several different places, beginning back there in verse uh, 28, God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, and subdue it. And then he talks about ruling the fish, the sea, and the birds. He talks about giving them seeds for food. Here God has almost given us this, this world. And this world is not necessarily complete as it sits, but it can be altered. We can innovate. We can, we can almost be what's known as sub-creators. In other words, God has kind of given us all the supplies to paint the portrait. All we have to do is take the supplies and paint it. It's almost like a science project. God has given us everything we need to do this science project. All we have to do is take the supplies and make it happen. And the interesting thing about that is, is that God has given us a mind to innovate. God has given us a mind to cultivate. When you look at agricultural studies, when you look at the ways that humanity has come to a place where it can grow such massive amounts of food, to grow such massive populations, it has become through the innovation of years and years of study that we've come to that place. I mean, you look at a cell phone or an iPad. I mean, it's a powerful computer that you can hold in your hand, and you say, how in the world does this thing work? It was created and innovated by minds that are created in the image of God, that God gave the power and the mind to create. And that all comes in the realm of subduing creation. You know, I've used this uh, analogy before, but it's almost like a grizzly bear. You think and look at a grizzly bear. That sucker is stout. That sucker is massive, huge claws. I mean, one swipe and he could literally take your head off. But yet mankind can subdue a grizzly bear. Whether mankind shoots that grizzly bear with a tranquilizer dart, knocks it out, drags it in a cage and locks it up. Whether a man is hunting and kills a grizzly bear. A small, frail human being can actually subdue a grizzly bear. That all goes back to this biblical understanding that God has created us in his image. He's created us to subdue creation because we are made in his image. And it all is all done and done the best in the bounds of Christian marriage. So there we have the purpose. What else did God say about marriage and the foundation of marriage in Scripture? He also said it was very good. If you look there in the 31st verse of chapter 1, the Bible says this, God saw all that he had made, and it was very good indeed. He said this on the heels of creating the man and the woman. If you go back through the creation account, you're going to see that every time he would create, at the end of that day, he would say, it was good. But here in verse 31, he said, it was very good. See, it shows the elevation of the creation of mankind in the scope of God's entire creation. Mankind is special. That's why it hurts me so bad when you see these, these organizations that funnel millions and even billions of dollars into uh, trying to make the lives of pets and animals better. When we're aborting nearly a million babies a year in the United States of America, when children are literally going hungry in our country, 
when children are being abused and, and trafficked. But yet you've got these people who are giving all this money to keep animals alive and to benefit animals when God did not make animals in His image. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying we should abuse them, but God made man in His image. Man is more valuable than animals. And we should honor life. We should honor God by taking care of humanity first. And even God said that the creation of mankind was very, very good. Man who would enter into the covenant of marriage, and I want you to listen to this, is the crowned jewel of God's creation. Today, as you maybe are someone who's defeated, maybe you're depressed, maybe you have some anxiety, maybe you're always beating yourself up, maybe you always feel like you're just not quite good enough. Well, I want you to look in the mirror sometime today, and I want you to realize that you are the crowned jewel of God's creative order that you are a human being created in His image, and you are of eternal value. And when we look at marriage, when we look at godly marriage, godly marriage doesn't uh, nullify the value of a man or a woman, but it elevates it. Because marriage is a, a, an example and exemplifies the self-sacrificial love that God has for each one of us. And nothing does that better than marriage. We're going to preach a series, a sermon in this same series in Ephesians chapter 5. And I'm not going to go deep into that, but Ephesians chapter 5 says that marriage is the beautiful reflection of God's relationship with humanity. When you are within a marriage, a Christian marriage, where you are loving your spouse as Christ loved the church, there is no better way to glorify God than in that relationship right there. Always remember, it was very good. We also see that there was something not good, though, that came about in the creative order of mankind. And we find that in chapter 2. And this is kind of retrospective. So basically, there are some things mentioned in chapter 2 that took place before a few things mentioned in chapter 1. So 1 and 2 are not necessarily fully chronological. But here we go back to the point when Adam was created and Eve had not been created yet. Adam was actually made before Eve. And there was something not good about that. Let's go back to verse 20 of Genesis chapter 2, it says, The man gave names to all the livestock, to the birds of the sky, and to every wild animal. But for the man, no helper was found corresponding to him. So here we have a but. It's almost like Adam is viewing God's creation, the birds and the animals and the fish, and they're multiplying. They have partners. They're able to coexist with others just like them and to sustain life. But it says, but. It's almost like, yes, this was all great, but something that wasn't quite good was that Adam was alone. And it wasn't good that Adam be alone. If you think about this, humans are relational beings. Humans were made by God, as seen here in Genesis 2.20, to be with other people. And God made you to have relationships. And if it's God's will that you be married, then God has called you to the most important human relationship that you can have. And that is marriage and your spouse. You know, what I always look at is I try to prioritize my relationships. My most important relationship is my relationship with God. But my second most important relationship that nothing can ever come in the way of or compare to is my relationship with my wife. I have no other more important human relationship than with her. And then everything else comes after that. Parents, you do not need to be putting your children before your spouse. 
That is against God's word. Your most important relationship must be your spouse. The Hebrew word for helper here is secure or aid. In other words, God made Eve. He, he told Adam, it's not good that you're alone, so I'm going to give you a helper. And he made Eve to come alongside of him and to live with him, to support each other through life, to be that aid in time of need, to, to really kind of almost um, fulfill their need for an emotional and, and a psychological relationship with another person. Someone who is corresponding to them in, in the CSB here as we're reading shows that there's equality. God did not make man more valuable than woman, but there is an equality there that we understand. It's, it's, it's complementarianism, understanding that yes, man and woman may have different roles, but they are completely equal in their value. So as we were created to be social Isolation is, of course, not good, and we find that right there within the first two chapters of the Bible. And we're seeing a lot of isolation today. We're seeing people who are being kept alone because of this virus that, let me be clear with you, has a 99.6% survival rate, but yet we're isolating people in all corners of the world in order to protect them from a virus that I will say again has a 99.6% survival rate. Listen, isolation is dangerous. As dangerous as COVID, if not more dangerous, and we find that in Scripture, we were created to be social beings. And we find that in marriage. We find that in the institution and the structure of marriage that God made us to interact with others because He made the foundational relationship in human society to be an interaction between two people, a man and a woman, in a covenant marriage. Lastly, I want us to see the first mention of the bonding of the man and the woman, the bonding that we know as marriage itself. You know, I've even thought in my more immature days as a Christian, you know, does the Bible really ever say that you need to walk down the aisle and say, I do? Does the Bible really say that you need to uh, record your marriage with the Register of Deeds and get a marriage certificate? Does the Bible really say that you should go to those links to do that? Well, the Bible doesn't specifically say that you should walk down the aisle and say, I do. But the Bible does say that there must be a significant commitment to a lifetime relationship. And as we look to obey the laws of our government and the laws of our land, we understand that that all comes together. That if I'm going to commit to my wife, then I am willing to go get a marriage certificate, a license. I am willing to plan a wedding. I am willing to invite my family so they can witness this covenant marriage. Because I love my wife and because I want to commit to her for all of my days. You know, what gets me is people who say, you know what, I kind of need to live with this person to kind of get a feel for who they are before I commit to them. There is no greater way to minimize the value of another human being than to look at marriage that way. Because basically what you're saying is, is that I'm going to enjoy the benefits of living with someone and being in a, in a sexual relationship with that person. And I'm going to enjoy what I can get from this person without any strings attached. So that one day when I want to pull the plug, I can just hit the road and be gone and leave that person where they are. That's not love. That's lust. That's self-gratification. And that's not biblical. That is against the very heart of who God is and the very heart of who God made man and man and woman to be. And if you conduct yourself in that way, you are setting yourself up for failure and disaster and destruction. God intended the sexual relationship to only be practiced within the bounds of lifelong 
covenant marriage. And he did it because that's how he created us to fulfill his image and the reflection of his image. Did you see how God gave Adam his bride in marriage? Let's look in uh, Genesis chapter 2, beginning in verse 21. So the Lord caused a deep sleep to come over the man, and he slept. God took one of the ribs and closed the flesh at that place. Then the Lord God made the rib he had taken from the man into a woman. And what did God do after he made the woman? Brought her to the man. You hear that? God made the woman and presented her to her husband. It wasn't like, you know, I made her. She's over here in the corner of the garden. Go find her, Adam. No, God valued this woman and Adam's bride so much that he took her and he presented her to Adam. She was a gift to him. Not that he owned her, not that he possessed her, but that she was a gift given to Adam for his good. That he was a gift given to her for her good, not for her destruction. Here we see the permanence of marriage. We see that marriage was not intended ever to be temporary. And I want to say that again. Marriage was not intended to be temporary. So when God calls the sleep to come, he took the rib, he made the woman, and in verse 23 he said this, this one at last is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. This one will be called woman, for she was taken from man. Did you hear that? Bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. This is why in verse 24 a man leaves his father and mother and bonds with his wife, and they become one flesh. There is nothing temporary about becoming one flesh. There is nothing temporary about bonding. There is nothing temporary about becoming bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. Marriage is meant to be lifetime. It's a commitment for life. And in our society today, we have completely minimized the value of marriage, and that's why our society is breaking down. You know, as I read in my introduction, Gary Chapman said that nearly 50% of all marriages in the Western culture, including the United States, end in divorce. It's because we don't have a proper perspective of what marriage is. As people are getting married, they have no clue about what marriage even means. You look at people and they'll spend uh, two, four, six, eight years educating themselves for their career, but yet they'll go into marriage like it's no big deal. They won't do any preparation. They won't do any study. And marriage is arguably by far more important than any career you'll ever have. And the reason marriages are breaking apart is because we've kicked God out. We've said, God, we don't need you to give us advice about something you made. We know better than you, so we're going to conduct marriage how we see fit. And in doing so, that's why today we have one out of every two marriages ending in divorce. And the studies show that most of those marriages end within the first seven years. The gracious nature of covenant love allowed for the husband and wife was to feel no shame. You know, one thing that we do battle in this life because we live in a sin-cursed world is shame. When we do something wrong, there is something ingrained within us that feels shame about that. We get embarrassed about it. We don't want other people to know it. But you know what's beautiful about how God created marriage? He created it that there would not be any shame. That regardless of how you look, regardless of how you act, regardless of what the rest of the world thinks about you, that you can go into your husband and to your wife without shame. Listen to this there in the scripture, beginning in verse 25. 
both the man and his wife were naked, yet felt no shame. Isn't that beautiful? And that's why it's so important to keep yourself for marriage, to not be sexually active before you get married. Because when you are sexually active before marriage, you're taking in uh, memories and you're taking in experiences that when you go into the marriage relationship can cause problems. But God intended marriage, now don't get me wrong, God can heal you from all that, but God intended marriage to be a safe zone. In other words, Adam and Eve were naked in front of each other and there was zero shame. There was zero, you know, can I be confident in myself? No, that was not even a question between those two. They were completely confident naked in front of each other. And what that signifies and what that shows is, is that the foundation of marriage is that there is safety and that there is love and that there can be confidence in marriage. And today, as I, as I end this sermon, this first sermon, this first sermon in this series, Marriage in the 21st Century, I want you to begin to elevate the importance of marriage in your own mind and in your own heart. If you're already married, you need to start prioritizing your marriage over your job, over your kids, and over all the other stuff that may try to pull you from it. Today, if you're not married, but you want to get married one day, you need to already begin planning in your mind how you're going to prepare yourself for that person that God has for you. Today, you may not feel led to be married, but it is still important for you to understand the foundation of society so that when you view the world, you can understand why the world is breaking down like it is. And it's because we have failed to adhere to that foundational component of human society, and that is marriage between one man and one woman. Thank you so much for listening. As we continue through marriage, I pray that your marriage would prosper during these times, and I pray that God would speak to your heart in a mighty way. Today, maybe through the preaching of the Word, or through uh, obviously through the working of the Holy Spirit, you've come to a place where you realize that you, you're not saved, that you don't have a relationship with God. Well, we want to reach out to you at Pole Creek and counsel you and come to know Jesus. So all you have to do is simply text the word SAVED to the phone number 828-373-1940. Maybe today you're saying, you know, I like what Pole Creek stands for and I want to get more involved at Pole Creek. Maybe you want to see what it means to join our church or maybe you want to be connected to a small group. All you have to do is text the word CONNECT to that same phone number, 828-373-1940. Click the link. Share with us some information about you. We'll reach back out and we will get you connected to a small group and we will share with you what it means to join our church. Join me in prayer. God, we love you so much. Lord, we are thankful for marriage, the truth that we find in Scripture, that marriage is of utmost importance to human society. We understand, God, that you created the institution of marriage in the first two chapters of the Bible that you created the institution of marriage before the institution of the church, that marriage, Lord, should be elevated to the place that it is meant to be, that we should understand that marriage reflects your glory, marriage reflects your character, and when marriage is conducted in a biblical, self-sacrificial way, that we ultimately glorify you. And God, we know that that is our ultimate purpose. Today, God, I plead the blood of Jesus Christ upon the marriages of our church. I plead the blood of Jesus Christ, Lord, upon every single person who wishes to be married, that God, we would understand marriage and that we would glorify you in godly marriage. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.